captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, the podcast on the Geek News Now network that covers both Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of your hosts. Uh, also with me is my co host, Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good, Jonathan. How have you been? Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, just, you know, working and. <laughs> you know, working and watching Star Wars and Star Trek, that's that's pretty much what my days are anymore. That's pretty much my life, too. Yeah, when I'm, in <laughs> my, when I'm doing paperwork in one of my offices, I usually have something Star Trek or Star Wars on, so I'm with you there, man. Yeah, it's great background noise. Sure is. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Captain, incoming message. Come closer, I have good news. We have a pretty good show for everybody today. Basically, what we're going to do is get started with some of the news that's been going on in the Star Trek and Star Wars universe, and there's been a lot in the last couple of weeks. First off, we're going to start with news from the world of Star Trek. So, I don't know how many of you remember him, but Billy Campbell, the storied actor who starred in The Rocketeer and had roles in TV shows like Dynasty and The 4400, He's known to Star Trek fans for his one-off appearance in the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. His character, Captain O'Connor, was a charming rogue who was taken in by the crew of the Enterprise D when they came across his ship in distress. Campbell announced recently that he will be reprising his role as O'Connor in the upcoming Star Trek Prodigy series on Nickelodeon. I was really excited when I heard this little bit of news. He is, you basically think that he was just this one-off character that just was going to appear once and then just be in part of Star Trek history. Then here I am reading trekmovie.com and all of a sudden it says Captain O'Connor's return and I'm like, "What on earth? Where, where what is, you know, where's this character been? What's where's where did the idea for this come up all of a sudden?" This reminds me a lot of how Star Trek Lower Decks brought in a lot of canon references to tie that show into the previous Star Trek, which was wonderful because it, it made it feel like it was a big piece of some everything that's come before. So it seems like they're taking that approach to Star Trek Prodigy as well. So it's going to be a very interesting story to see how he gets brought back and how maybe he interacts with Admiral Janeway. We know he was a bit of a womanizer, so maybe we'll, he'll start hitting on, on Janeway. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see what happens with the uh, adolescent or early 20-something characters as well. What's really interesting about Billy Campbell coming back is basically he was the runner-up for the role of Commander Riker right before Next Generation began. So uh, that was nice that they brought him back in the second season to have a little role as O'Connor and be part of the Star Trek uh, universe. So, Jonathan, what are your thoughts about Captain O'Connor? Uh, well, I actually, you know, once I read that news story, Chris, I went back and watched the episode again for, mm -hmm. for the first time in a while. And I know season two of TNG had kind of some critics just because 
you know, they, they brought in Dr. Pulaski instead of Dr. Crusher. And there were a lot of complaints from fan base, you know, that they didn't like her anywhere near as much that she was a little too, uh, she didn't have the bedside manner that Crusher did, and you know she sure. was a little bit more gruff. But this, you know, this was one of those episodes in season two that, yeah, it's a one-off story, and I forgot how, you know, how good it was. Yes. Circling back around to where you had said that, uh, you know, that he was the runner-up for the role of Commander Riker. It was, it was actually, it was Billy Campbell and Jonathan Frakes that were the two. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the two uh, front runners for the role. Yes, and I, I was reading a story where Billy Campbell said that he went into the interview completely nervous. And he 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 said he screwed up his audition royally. And he kind of wishes that he, you know, had uh, been a little bit more prepared. But, you know, he also acknowledged that uh, that Jonathan Frakes was by far the better choice for Riker. You know, mm-hmm. you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't blame Jonathan or, or, you know, have any, any ill words to say about the guy, which, you know, of course I I can't imagine Riker being any other way, (laughs) honestly. Oh no, no. Like a sarcasm and a, and a, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, just a, just joy to the character that is kind of hard to reproduce. Like he was just a natural for it, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But Billy Campbell did a great job as Captain O'Connor. So, oh, it, yeah. you know, um, yeah, but like you said, he was a one-off character and there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of story arc there, just that he was a rogue. It would have been interesting to see if he would have come back a little bit more to see his interactions with the crew back in the day. But I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it, was just, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. So at least he gets a second shot here. So that's going to be right. exciting. But I'm sure right. they'll have to tone him down a little bit for Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well gonna, I mean, you know, not womanizing Terry Hatcher in this one. <laughs> so. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, Riker was a bit of a, a, a flirt as well. So that's know. the word I was looking for. Yes, he was. Yeah, they were definitely both flirts. They were definitely both ladies' men. So it, it's you know, it's kind of funny that that O'Connor was very similar to uh to Riker in that regard yes and I I found it uh yeah I kind of liked the plot of that episode it was very very much like Romeo and Juliet where you know you had the two warring families yes that both that one claimed that O'Connor stole their crown jewel and the other claimed that O'Connor got his daughter pregnant but it found you know what really was happening was O'Connor was shuttling uh, the the prince from the one nation back and forth so that he could have a, a relationship with yes. uh, the princess from the other country. So it was very Romeo and Juliet in that regard. But of course, that episode ended up much much happier than than Romeo and Juliet did. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder if they'll do any little brief follow up to that in Prodigy. If they'll say whatever happened to that couple, did they end up getting married, having more children? Did they split up? You know, that, that would be <laughs> a away line, just something, you know, would be yeah, really something. cool to see. Yeah, that would be cool. I noticed several connections between the way that Billy Campbell portrayed O'Connor. I saw some very similar characteristics between O'Connor and uh, kind of a combination of both Han Solo and Lando Calrissian from Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it such a way that uh, that 
it, the way that there was a line in the episode where I, I can't remember who it was, if it was Data or Jordy that was saying how O'Connor likes to push his ship beyond its capabilities. And that very much reminded me of Han Solo because with all sure. of his you know special modifications to the Millennium Falcon. Sure, absolutely. And good then... catch, good connection of the two. <laughs> awesome. Yep, kind of the way that O'Connor dressed was very Han Solo like, but the 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 charmer, the ladies' man aspect of him was very Lando. Yes, exactly. The smooth talker, without a doubt, without a doubt. All right. So, what else do we got going on here? I'm sure if you've been keeping up with Star Wars news, there's no way that you've missed this story. Uh, on February 10th, Lucasfilm released a statement uh, regarding Gina Carano that she has been released from her employment in any current and future Star Wars projects. Uh, it, it, and this is going to be a verbatim read of the statement from Lucasfilm. Uh, Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Uh, I know this is a very hot-button topic, and and Chris and I just were thinking about this, and we were talking pre-show about how to address this and there's just no way that we feel like we can address it without even getting to, you know even the the light you know the slightest bit political about it uh we're here for entertainment purposes for, you know for you to kill a little bit of time in your in your week by listening to us uh, you know and and we're just going to leave it at that it's news we're covering the the fact that it happened you guys can form your own opinions. Uh, we are going to stay out of that as much as possible. So we're going to move on to the next. Absolutely. <laughs> I echo what you're saying, Jonathan. I, I agree. We need to stay out of all that serious mumbo jumbo and just have a good time here. That's what we're here for. You know, Star Absolutely. Trek and Star Wars brings a lot of happiness to a lot of people. You know, why drag politics into it and possibly upset people? It's not worth yeah. it. So the only thing we'll just do is see how it plays out going into season three of The Mandalorian. The only way Pretty I'll much. Do. That's it. Yeah, that's that's all we can do, really. Exactly. Moving on from that, back in 2017, I believe it was around November, it, before the release of The Last Jedi in theaters that December, it was announced that Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed Star Wars The Last Jedi, was going was tapped to head up a brand new trilogy of Star Wars films that you know were going to take place completely separate from the Skywalker stories and take place in a time frame that we hadn't yet seen in Star Wars. Recently, a fan got the chance to interview Ryan Johnson, and one of the questions that she asked him was whether the trilogy was still happening. And he did confirm that he's working on the films, but he didn't provide any additional details regarding the story or the time frame that the, sh that the films will take place in, or even when we'll see the movies hit theaters. Uh, you know, I, speaking from you know my opinion, I I enjoyed a lot of the Last Jedi. I know that it is very much a um, a a movie that is very divisive among the fan base, oh, to yeah. say the least. Um, there's a, uh, a very vocal, what I think a very vocal minority of fans that, uh, especially on social media that did not care for it. I mean, I think, you know, personally, I enjoyed the story arc for Luke Skywalker that 
Brian Johnson mm-hmm. wrote. You know, Luke was a man who he was essentially, you know, almost single-handedly responsible for defeating the Sith and the, and destroying the dark side with the help of the Rebel Alliance who were able to of course take out both Death Stars, but Luke was the one that you know, essentially saved his father from the dark side by instilling, you know, by encouraging him to realize that, you know, that that connection between family is stronger than the connection that the dark side held on him. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, Luke as the hero of the galaxy, he essentially, you know, he tried to carry on the legacy of the Jedi and, and because he failed Kylo Ren, and Kylo turned to Snoke and the dark side. Uh, he, Luke Skywalker, thought he was a complete failure, and he exiled himself. Uh, it, very similar to how Yoda and and Obi Wan exiled themselves after they failed Anakin in the prequel trilogy. It's exactly. it's very cyclical. It's very you know very uh, very much uh, connected you know story wise. The same thing that happened to to Obi Wan and Yoda is what Luke did when he failed, mm-hmm. and you know um, Luke finally realized that his role wasn't to bring back the Jedi Order. He met Rey and saw the power that she had, and you know he was able to uh, to take that and 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 use that as his new inspiration for uh, helping you know, distract Kylo Ren from um, uh, being able to breach that gate at the, uh, at the base on the planet, on the salt planet of crate uh, that the resistance was hiding behind. He was able to use the hatred that Kylo Ren had for him as the ultimate distraction. And he was able to single-handedly again, single-handedly ensure that the, the resistance survived that day. I think that was brilliant writing, but you know, again, there are other parts of the last Jedi that I did not like. I thought the, the middle act with the space chase, uh, w- you know, with the, the concerns over fuel was a little bit mishandled, but mm-hmm. you know, overall I thought the film was pretty good. How did you, what did you think of the last Jedi? I actually really enjoy the last Jedi. I think it's a fun movie from beginning to end. It uh, adds some new elements. Uh, one of the air, I actually am probably one of the few fans that really like the General Leia uh, Superman moment where she's actually using the Force to fly back into the ship. I never had any issue with that. I we we knew that Leia was Force sensitive. She was the other that was that Yoda mentioned on Dagobah. You know, so why wouldn't she have some sort of ability to do something with the Force? You know, that, sure. that that never really bothered me. The only thing that really bothered me about The Last Jedi was it seemed to undo a lot of the plot points that The Force Awakens was setting up to be carried through into the trilogy. Like mm-hmm. I said in the, in the previous episode that we did, when they ended up killing Snoke off, I thought that was a big loss because I was hoping that he would end up being Darth Plagueis and we'd find, you know, find that connection to him with the Emperor. But instead, now we find out that he was just a clone that the Emperor created. Not not a clone, but just a created being, basically, is, is what we found. I think that we lost a really good opportunity to learn about an interesting character in that regard. There was also, they, they kind of 
made it sound like Rey came from nothing, even though they were building it up in The Force Awakens to feel more like she had some sort of specialized parentage, something to that effect. But they said she was basically sold off for drunk money. That's what, or drink money. It's basically what Kylo Ren told Rey in Snoke's, what do you want to call it, chamber, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I saw the movie for the first time, that kind of bummed me out a little bit. And clearly in The Rise of Skywalker, they kind of went into damage control to try to resolve some of those plot twists that kind of came up in The Last Jedi. But overall, I thought it was an interesting story. I even liked the Canto Bite stuff. It, it, it was fun going. It was kind of like going into a 30s movie, watching the, the, the guy with the lapel and, and being in the casino. And the, the final scene I actually thought was really interesting. And I was hoping that they were going to follow up on that with the boy with the in the, the stall, mm -hmm. with the, the, the broom. I thought yes. that would have been an interesting thing to, to follow up on and see if maybe he was going to be the beginning of a, a new generation of Force-sensitive people that would bring the Jedi back. You know, yeah. so that, there were some interesting things. Right, and that's still very possible. I mean, we don't know anything about Ryan Johnson's right. trilogy. It could very well feature Broom Boy. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I hope so. I'm going to be the fan that says, I hope Broom Boy comes back. I want to see yeah. I want to see that come up. He could be the next Luke Skywalker, I think. Yeah. And I think, and Ryan Johnson is a hell of a filmmaker. I mean, he's a great writer. He's a great director. He has a really cool vision, and he, you know, mm -hmm. he's very tapped into uh, film and film history, and he knows the things that he's very inspired by the things that also inspired George Lucas. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think he has a, a unique vision that he can bring to Star Wars, and I think given the chance to basically, you know. Build his own sandbox and play in it is is exactly you know he could do wonders with that rather than you know having to find a way to make our classic trilogy characters fit into his way of storytelling. So exactly. I I am yes. I am still all for Ryan Johnson you know, directing another trilogy of movies or right. somehow being involved whether he directs all of them whether he. Uh, just writes and directs the first and then supervises the next two, you know, mm -hmm. whatever his role is. I'm I'm excited for it. Right. I actually hope that if his trilogy does happen, he stays put and, and does everything. I think, mm -hmm. I mean, with the original trilogy that, yes, they have three different directors, but everything seemed to kind of flow. Whereas when er, they seemed to split up the directors for the sequel trilogy, things kind of went a little different. And I, I honestly do have this feeling that maybe if J.J. Abrams had stayed in, in the, as the director for all three movies, there would have been more of like a flow that, that, than what actually happened. So I'm hoping that if, if this is going to be Ryan Johnson's vision, that he kind of stays put to some degree that he's in there. You know, but I'm, I agree with you. I'm interested in seeing what comes out of it. I think it'll be an interesting story. That, I think he's a good filmmaker as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Chris, do you want to take our next story? Uh, this yes. is a little bit more Trek-related news. Yes, absolutely. So basically, in the last couple of weeks, various sources have confirmed that two of the new Star Trek series for Paramount Plus are beginning production in the coming weeks. First of all, we have Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which everybody knows stars the crew of the original USS Enterprise, featured in the second season of Discovery and was obviously in Star Trek, uh, the very first pilot, The Cage. So we got Anson Mount returning as his character of Captain Pike. We have Rebecca Romaine coming back as number one and Ethan Peck coming back as Mr. Spock. 
as of last week, there was a story on trekmovie.com that said that production is imminent. And there was actually somebody in the comment section who actually said they saw signs out in front of the studio where it's going to be filmed. So basically saying that, yes, you know, people are coming in. So this is really exciting. It's always exciting news when a new Star Trek series is coming out. Um, this is actually the first Star Trek series that was ever created because fans demanded it. So this is going to be really, really exciting and seeing what happened with Pike and what happened with Spock in the, in the earlier years of the Enterprise before Kirk took over. Um, I think it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. Then it's obviously updated visually, so it's going to be visually stunning for the 21st century. We have good actors coming on board, so all we just got to do is have some good scripts, and I, I think we're good to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan, what are your thoughts about Strange New World starting? Uh, I think, you know, I'm excited for the show. I, I think, you know, it, it's about time that, uh, although, you know, 50 years later, I think it's about time that Captain Pike and his crew, the Enterprise, get their, you know, their, their, um, get the show that they should have had, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the original yeah. pitch for Star Trek. Yep. That's um, a very good point. I hope that, you know, we'll get the, you know, I hope that we're going to get the cerebral, nature that the cage gave us maybe not in every episode but you know mm-hmm. kind of be a little bit more heady than even the the retooled star trek original series was that, that william shatner right you know, led right exactly and i'm really hoping that it holds up to the name they gave it they call it strange new worlds i think we really need to get star trek back to its roots where it's out exploring space encountering aliens meeting new people, having morality tales. I don't think Discovery ever fully lived up to that. The ship is called Discovery, and it never felt like they really discovered anything until <laughs> the third season, but that's because they were thrown 900 years into the future. Right. I think there's nothing wrong with Star Trek going back to its roots, and I, I think that's that's what's really going to help maybe heal some of that divide in the fandom if they see some more Star Trek kind of stories coming out of Star Trek rather than like these serialized, long, stretched out, season-long arcs. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I think going back episodic and seeing new things come up, I think is going to be exciting for the show. Um, and speaking of more Star Trek shows coming out, uh, looks like we just found out the second season of Star Trek Picard is beginning production as well. This one's got a big question mark on it for me in terms of where the series is going to go. I'm beyond excited for it. I love Patrick Stewart. He's my favorite actor. Captain Picard is my favorite captain. It's going to be interesting to see what his storylines are going to be now that he's in this new android body. Um, what's, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be hard for him? Is it going to feel like nothing's changed and he just feels better because he's in this body without any ailments? Or is it going? Is his humanity going to be tested or is it going to be experienced differently because of this new format that he's in? Uh, so it'll, it'll be very, very interesting. Um, I do hope that we don't go back to the uh, Android story arc of season one. I don't want to see any more of that happen. Soji's part of, of the La Serena crew now. Let's get some new kind of adventure stories going with the crew. Uh, really curious to see what's going to happen with Seven and Nine now that she's on the crew and with her history of the Fenris Rangers. What's that going to bring to the mix? The, the, the series didn't really give us a, like a pinpoint of where it's going to go for season two. It wasn't like with Discovery in season one where they had the Enterprise show up and then it was like, oh, OK, this is where it's going to start at season two. 
or the ship went through the wormhole at the end of season two and went 900 years in the future. It was just kind of like Picard said to the camera, engage, and they went off in space. So there's a mm-hmm. big question mark about where this series is going to go. So honestly, at this point, I don't have a whole lot of thought on what I want to see because I don't know enough yet. But what about you, Jonathan? Any thoughts for season two? Uh, I'm like you. I, I couldn't even predict where it's going to go. Yeah. I, and, and I would, I mean, any prediction I could come up with would be just basically a wild ass guess. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel too. It's like, I don't know where to begin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked Star Trek Picard. I thought it definitely had some interesting concepts that it was playing with but i don't know maybe i maybe i just need to rewatch the series again and mm-hmm. get you know again you know like like my approach to enterprise you know i i didn't like enterprise at first and mm-hmm. i was kind of lukewarm to to picard i mm-hmm. i think maybe i just need to watch it again and and get it you know read you know develop my opinion even further right and, and no, see no, what no. i think Right, and that makes perfect sense. I actually bought Star Trek Picard Season 1 on Blu-ray uh, Chromebook uh, for my 40th birthday. So it's been sitting there waiting for a rewatch, and I really want to watch all 10 episodes again and, and do a review of it on my YouTube channel. Uh, that's one of the plans I have for that later on down the down the road here this mm-hmm. year. Um but it, it'd be fun. It would be fun if you know. I, I know you you do have CBS All Access right now, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting if we watch it maybe together and we, we kind of give each other feedback. Yeah, we could do that. I'm yeah. down for that. And then we know that Prodigy is going to be out on Nickelodeon some point this year. Don't really know news on the Section 31 series at this point. Are there any other Star Trek series? There's so many coming out now. I can't remember if there are any others that are in development at this point. <sighs> yeah, I... I... I think those are the main ones, at least yeah, the ones so. that we know about. I mean, there's there's rumors that that Paramount might be developing uh, exclusive to Paramount Plus feature films that are set in the Star Trek universe. But again, that's just all rumors and speculation at this point. Sure, but I would totally geek out if I saw that. I think I'd explode with excitement if I heard that they were making like TV movies for the for the network. That'd be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, any other news bites that we got there? Yeah. So we've got a couple more to cover. Right. Uh, we've got one one more from Star Star Wars and one more from Star Trek. You know, by the time this episode comes out, it'll have been news for about a week. But okay. Lucasfilm Games and uh, the developer game developer Zynga announced that they were going to be releasing a new free to play Star Wars game at some point this year. Uh, exclusively on the Nintendo Switch. It's called Star Wars Hunters, and they really haven't given any details about the game other than a very brief kind of teaser image and and very short teaser trailer. Apparently, it's going to be a team-based arena combat game, which immediately, to me, reminds me of uh, either Fortnite or uh, PUBG. I would bet that Star Wars Hunters is going to be very much in the vein of those games. And I can honestly mm-hmm. say that uh, I'm not surprised. It, it's a very lucrative type of market. You know, it's it, it's free to play, but there are lots of uh, microtransactions. You can buy weapons, you can buy currency to buy weapons in the game and buy stuff i i I would think it you know i'm surprised it's actually taken lucas you know 
Star Wars this long to really adopt that kind of a model. And mm-hmm. I, I know that Battlefront 2 did it with their microtransaction system, but that was more of a pay-to-win scenario. Um, okay. They were charging people money to get things that otherwise took you know, months and months and months of playing Battlefront 2 to earn. This is available to everybody and you you know i don't think you can unlock these materials without paying money but mm-hmm. yeah it remains to be seen if they even adopt that model at all sure. but but anytime i see anything that's tagged free to play it generally means there are some sort of in app or in-game purchases available for it mm-hmm. um I probably won't check this game out, and I'm a huge gamer, mm-hmm. so uh, I think I'm going to skip it because it's definitely not my cup of tea mm-hmm. or a cup of calf, as it were, in the Star Wars universe. Sure, yes. Uh, what do you What do you think about this genre of games? Are you familiar with Fortnite and PUBG at all? I'm not familiar with PUBG, but I am very familiar with Fortnite. A lot of the kids I do therapy with play it on a pretty consistent basis. That and Minecraft, mm-hmm. they love all those kind of games. So. If this this game, Star Wars Hunters, is going to be along those lines, I think it's going to be a really good uh, choice, basically, for uh, Disney and Lucasfilm. I think kids will actually get really interested in it, and it's going to bring another interest back into the Star Wars licensing, get fans back on board. Um, and I think if adults are really into Fortnite as well, I'm not sure if they really how much they get into that or not, but if, if they are... I think that that will be very interesting for them as well. Um, there's nothing like a good Star Wars game, especially if you have some pretty good graphics and a pretty good story going on. There seems to be a lot of interest that comes around it. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a good decision. Yeah, and I think you hit on an interesting point that I hadn't even considered is, you know, the target audience for games like Fortnite is, it, you know, it, it skews younger. Yes. So, and, and Star Wars has always been... You know, Star Wars has always been aimed at 10 to 12 year olds. Mm -hmm. And while, you know, middle aged men like you and I enjoy it, you know, we, you know, we definitely were never the the intended target audience. That was always George Lucas's plan from the very beginning. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, if it attracts a new generation of Star Wars fans, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Hey, you never know what's going to spark the popularity. Look at the Mandalorian, what it's doing for Star Wars right now. I mean, it's, it's right. wonderful, you know, so yeah. let's hope that it does it too, you know? Absolutely. Staying along the lines of video games. Uh, so basically a limited time opportunity to participate in the infamous Kobayashi Maru scenario ran uh, from February 11th through the 25th of 2021. This unwinnable test that everybody knows, the, the Kobayashi Maru at uh, Starfleet Academy, students have to go through their uh, test, their decision-making capabilities. So this actually gave fans of Star Trek the ability to test how they would react to the same situation. Who is a Star Trek fan has never wondered how if they could actually beat the, the no-win scenario, you know? Mm-hmm. If he scored high enough on the interactive web game, he could potentially win a lifetime subscription to Paramount Plus and a Captain Kirk vinyl graphic, a Star Trek ship collectibles package, a Captain Kirk standee, or other prizes. So I didn't get to play this, but I am very my curiosity is very peaked with this one. I would love to try this game out. 
and, and see if I first of all I don't if I, if I can even get past the the gameplay. I haven't been that much of a gamer since Super Nintendo, so I don't even know if I know how to even play the game. <laughs> but it was, yeah. I would really love to give this one a shot. You know, what about you, Jonathan? Have you ever had those thoughts of being in the Kobayashi Maru? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a pretty clever setup. How you know the uh, the ship has has a critical incident, and it's inside the Klingon, or rather, inside the neutral zone between Federation and Klingon space, and that how a you know immediately upon entering the neutral zone, whether it's a Klingon vessel or a Starfleet vessel, mm-hmm. it's deemed as an act of war by the other faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that the you know the ship has got stuck there, and you know. You as the Starfleet captain inter, you know, intercept their uh, communication mm-hmm. to, to, you know, requesting help. I thought, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a cool setup, and yeah, it's, it, it's tailor made for a game. And you know, the funny thing is, it's, you know, I did get a chance to play it myself. Or, or, did you? Okay. It's more. It's not so much a game where you have complicated controls. It's a it's a text-based decision-making game. So you read the text, it gives you four possible choices or two or three possible choices of actions that you can take. uh, And you pick the one that you think would be best. And then it's, it's very much like one of those old choose your own adventure books, right? Where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're reading through the, the book and it says, if you want to attempt to unlock the door, go to this page. If you want to attempt mm-hmm. to break down the door, go to this page. It, it very much felt like yes. that. So I think, you know, I, I know, unfortunately you seem to have missed out on that opportunity, but you'd be fine with it. it, it there's no real uh, video game skill necessary. It, it's a, it's a, it's a point and click, choose your own adventure style game. So um, sure. Absolutely. You would have been fine with it. <laughs> It's actually funny that you're bringing one of those flip and choose books up because I actually have a Star Trek one in my office um, that I've done problem solving groups with kids, you know, and, and, and taught them about how they could use those skills to help themselves, you know, with, with their mental health or whatever behavioral issues. So and it's, it's very it's very successful. and The kids love it. So I'm glad that you brought the book up. I think we've covered all the news stories for the week, Chris. Um, So I think we are good to move on to, you know, our our main topic of conversation for this episode. Don't get technical with me. Logic is the beginning of wisdom, Polaris, not the end. The Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and events. For this main discussion, I had Chris kind of come up with ideas and brainstorm what he wanted to talk about. So briefly, what we're going to do, and before I let Chris kind of take the reins here, what we're going to do is compare how Star Wars had, well, rather, I guess we're going to do a little comparison about how both Star Trek influenced Star Wars and how Star Wars influenced Star Trek uh, throughout the 1970s and how they played off of each other. So, Chris, do you want to take us away? Absolutely. So this is probably my favorite era of Star Trek fandom to discuss is the 1970s. Because, again, it was a big question mark about is Star Trek going to return? If Star Trek returns, how is it going to return? And the story basically went the the entire decade. Um, We know Star Wars was created in 1977. So there was only a small piece of it where it kind of overlapped with Star Trek. So 
But Star Wars had a big impact, huge impact, in bringing Star Trek back into uh, the fold and bringing it to the big screen. So before I actually talk about that, I want to kind of go a little bit over the history of what happened with Star Trek after its cancellation. So basically, in the 1970s, they had discussions of reviving the series. Was it going to become a series? Was it going to be a cartoon, which it ultimately became in the early 70s? Was it going to be low-budget movies that came out? Then was it going to actually be another TV series that launched another network? So a lot of questions going on during that time. Star Trek appeared destined to live again on the small screen before it came back as Star Trek The Motion Picture. But again, Star Wars happened, and that was the big thing that that kind of solved the dilemma. Star Wars was released in theaters on May 25th, 1977. It was an immediate hit. The movie only had an $11 million budget, but made a total of $775.8 million at the box office. That's that's pretty massive, and that's crazy for just one movie to, to make that much money over its run. Uh, so basically, it had a very fast-paced, very interesting story. It had relatable characters that were interesting and easy to emotionally invest in. So you know that makes a good story. And the state-of-the-art special effects that happened from the beginning all the way to the end that were never before seen in, in cinema up to that point. Jonathan, I know that you're very familiar with the history of Star Wars and its amazing beginnings. What do you know about Star Trek's history related to the first feature film and Star Wars influence? Do you have any kind of background knowledge on that? I have a little bit. You know, I kind of always get a kick out of the population of fans of either Star Trek or Star Wars that claim there's a feud between fans of the franchises. And really, it's it's nothing. There, there's, I mean, other than that being something created by fandom, there's really nothing that evidences that at all. You know, I... I right. um, it, it, did you, you you've seen the the documentary Trek Nation, haven't you? Yes. Okay, so yes, you I remember, the, right? So you remember that uh, in that documentary, both George Lucas and Gene Roddenberry were interviewed by the documentary mm-hmm. crew, and both of them mm-hmm. said that the influence of Star Wars on Star Trek and vice versa is complete. You know, is undeniable. I mean, they. Both George and Gene had nothing but praise for each other's franchises. You know, they even you know right. they even went so far as to recognize each other uh, at, at honor ceremonies. So there was a an honor ceremony, an award that was given to Gene Roddenberry, and uh, you know George Lucas had written a letter to be read at the ceremony, and the letter was delivered by an actor dressed in a Darth Vader costume. I don't know if right. you remember yes, that portion of the of the film. And then Gene had done a, a very similar thing to uh, to an award ceremony, an honor ceremony that was given in George Lucas's name. So he returned the favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, right. this whole the whole you know, again the whole feud thing is just completely manufactured by fandom, uh, exactly. which is kind of ridiculous. Exactly. You know, yeah, and I, I agree. And I, you know, I had uh, remembered. I remember reading an article a few years ago that it was during an appearance at one of the Star Trek Las Vegas conventions that William Shatner said had made some comments about how Star Wars was completely responsible for helping to bring Star Trek the motion picture into reality and and eventually get a theatrical release and revive that franchise. But at the same time, 
I believe Shatner said at that very same convention that he felt that Star Wars was too derivative of Star Trek. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, you never know what you're going to get from Shatner from one speech to another. <laughs> so, I'll just say that. Um, so, yeah, so, but he's right. If he said about that Star Wars having such a big effect on Star Trek's debut on the big screen, it, it's absolutely true. And here's kind of the journey that really got them there. So Star Trek's final episode aired on NBC uh, was in, on June 3rd, 1969. Basically, the network and the and Paramount just accepted that the show was a failure. So they tried to get a few more bucks out of it, and they sold it right into syndication later that year. But basically, the popularity of the show exploded, whereas it was on during prime time or at 10 o'clock on Friday nights during its third season – Basically, now people are able to watch it right after school, five nights a week, and it just got a cult following that just exploded. As a matter of fact, in according to an article in Playboy magazine that was released by the time of Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek was airing domestically 308 times per week on 134 U.S. stations. That, that's just incredible. Then you had the, the beginning of the Star Trek you know, that started around 1972. Actually, that first convention, they expected a couple hundred to show up and 3,000 fans actually attended, which was mind-boggling. So obviously, because Star Trek was exploding in popularity, there were rumors that Star Trek was going to come back. There was a, there was a Star Wars coffee book that was uh, made in the 90s that they had a very brief mention that they were talking about NBC reviving the series. But they passed on it because they thought that rebuilding the sets and the models and everything was just going to be too expensive. So they passed on it. But what ended up happening with NBC was they ended up creating the Star Wars or Star Trek, the animated series that lasted for two seasons from 1973 to 1974, which was excellent. I don't know, Jonathan, have you ever seen the animated series? I have to admit that I have not watched a single episode of these, uh, the animated series. I know it's, it's available so many places. Uh, yes. and I just never got a chance to, never got around to it. That's the one Star Trek series that I've never watched. So yeah. I mean, what should I expect when watching the animated series? Well, if you believe that the original Star Trek series had really strong quality stories, you're going to expect them again for the most part in the animated series. They brought back a lot of the writers from the original series. Walter Koenig himself actually wrote an episode of the series, The Infinite Vulcan. So even though there are only 30-minute episodes, they definitely had that same spirit of being cerebral, getting you to think about different themes. Um, not every episode does. Some of them are kind of, you know, child-centered and maybe kind of goofy, like maybe the Practical Joker, which you'll see like toward the end of, end of the run. But it it's very well beloved by fans, and it, it basically you can see it as season four and five of the original series at this hmm. point. Yeah, so I mean, I would wa definitely go watch it. But anyway, okay. the show only lasted two seasons. Um, so then again, Star Trek was kind of in limbo. William Shatner recounts in one of his books, Star Trek Movie Memories, that he returned to Paramount Studios in, in I believe it was 1975. And he went back to, into the offices and he said that he heard Gene Roddenberry typing in his old office. And basically what he told he said that Gene Roddenberry told him is that he was creating the first Star Trek movie. So that movie was actually called The God Thing. And basically, the God thing was about this alien ship or alien probe that was coming back to Earth 
I don't know if it would, the intent was to destroy Earth or, or what it was going to do, but apparently this probe was going around the universe, giving the law of laws of the universe. And at one point, it actually manifested itself as Jesus Christ. Basically, it was saying that it was Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And I guess Paramount rejected it because of the, the religious themes. They thought it was just too heavy and that people wouldn't go for it. So that movie was scrapped. Back in, uh, I believe it was 1976, 1977, they were planning another Star Trek movie, and it came very close to actually being made. It was called Planet of the Titans, where it took place after the original five-year mission, and I forget exactly what the story was about, but uh, they were going to battle Klingons. Kirk, I guess, got lost on some planet. Spock felt guilty about it, and they went back a few years later. Somehow the Klingons got involved. They were trying to find some sort of mythical planet. Uh, the Enterprise ended up going back in time, and they ended up being the ancient titans of folklore. Uh, I guess they they introduced fire to the inhabitants, the primitive inhabitants of Earth. I don't know. It just ended up that Paramount wasn't really impressed by it. And even though they had the script writers, they had pre-production photos, everything ready to go, they ended up scrapping it. So, But a year later, Paramount Pictures wanted to get into the TV landscape. And they actually were going to create their own fourth network called Paramount Television Service. And they were going to create a new TV series called Star Trek Phase 2 that was going to be the cornerstone of that network and launch it. Similar to what happened with Star Trek Voyager with UPN in 1995. So they brought back all of the original cast except for Leonard Nimoy. He, he did not want to be in it for different reasons. They built sets. They were going to use costumes from the original series. There's pre-production footage. If you buy the special edition of Star Trek The Motion Picture on DVD, you'll see a lot of that stuff. But what ended up happening, of course, Star Wars came out and made tons of money. So, and, and it was just so popular. And not only did it bring, but did it just make a great movie, but it brought a lot of merchandising in, brought a lot of money in for Kenner with the action figures and all the other tie-ins, books, t-shirts. It showed that there was a, a hunger for good storytelling and fun storytelling in the science fiction genre. But I think a lot of people also forget around that time, Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out, which came out with a great story and spectacular effects as well. So at this point at Paramount, the fourth plans for the fourth network were starting to crumble. And so they said to themselves, we really want to get into this, this what Star Wars is created and what Planet of the Titans is, not Planet of the Titans, Close Encounters of the Third Kind created, and what kind of property do we have? So they realize they have Star Trek. So instead of going the TV route, why don't they have this big, elaborate special effects extravaganza like Star Wars and Close Encounters on the big screen? So what they did was they took the pilot episode of Star Trek Phase 2, which was titled In Thy Image, and reworked it into what became Star Trek The Motion Picture. So they created that. They announced it in 1978. So Star Trek The Motion Picture finally came out on December 7th of 1979. At the time, the budget ballooned because they wanted to have this big extravaganza with the effects. It ended up becoming $44 million to make, but they still got their money back because the box office was $139 million. They had their state-of-the-art special effects. I mean, Star Trek The Motion Picture was beautiful. I mean, the Enterprise being in dry dock and Earth orbit and the warp drive special effects, the Enterprise flying by Jupiter just being in and out of V'ger, uh, just the, the opening scenes with the Klingons. I mean, it was just, it was just it's mind-blowing. 
And I got to see Star Trek The Motion Picture on the big screen a year and a half ago when they re-released it for the 40th anniversary. That movie belongs on the big screen, not on on TV. It, it's just you can tell the detail when you're watching it on the big screen. That's where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie itself, though, was panned because it was too heavy, special effects heavy. It was too heavy laden with all of that. And even though Star Wars has this great, quick, fun, exciting pace, Star Trek The Motion Picture is very slow and drawn out. Yes, it has the cerebral stuff in it that makes it Star Trek, but it bored a lot of people to the point where it got the nickname The Motionless Picture. So, but I think Star Wars did have a very strong effect on the motion picture. It it influenced the need for spectacular special effects in sci-fi movies. The success of the Kenner toy line clearly impacted the Migos uh, Star Trek action figures that they created for the motion picture because before that they had what the six seven inch figures of the cloth uniforms then they actually shrunk down to the three and three quarter size that they did with the Star Wars line but it was never as popular of course and, yeah and obviously because of the effects of Star Wars on the Star Trek the motion picture the large box office led to sequels being produced just like with Star Wars so Definitely a big influence on bringing Star Trek back to the big screen. I don't think it would have happened, at least not right away, if it weren't for Star Wars coming out at that time. Jonathan, what are your thoughts? So I want to kind of touch on a few things that you had mentioned. I don't think I had known that the script for the motion picture was so heavily based on the pilot episode for Star Trek Phase 2. But, you know, from what, you know, from, it's been a little while since I've seen the movie, but it, it is certainly one of those films that feels like a uh, a long episode of Star mm-hmm. Trek, the original yeah. series. I almost wonder if Star Trek The Motion Picture would have been more successful if it were, say, like a three-part episode of a television show versus being a motion picture. And I know... Naturally, it wouldn't have had the anywhere near the budget for this for all the effects. But Star sure. Trek doesn't have to be about effects to tell its story, and it and that's you know clearly right. that's evidenced by you know how uh, the original series and even very early episodes of the Next Generation you know, were mm-hmm. as far as their visual effects budgets. You know, it didn't look the best, but the stories were phenomenal, and it it makes perfect sense. Right. You know, now knowing that it that essentially the motion picture script was a uh, a rewritten to be longer version of a pilot episode. It makes perfect sense. Yes, exactly. So I, they actually, I read the entire script for in thy image years ago. Uh, my twin brother has the book. I think it's called the lost star Trek phase Two: the lost series. It was written by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, who are fountains of star Trek knowledge. And they wrote this huge book and had pictures and and uh story treatments and the whole background of the production if you're able ever able to find it in the library or if you would want to buy it it's got the whole script for in that image in there so it, it was very it was a good a good script and it was pretty quickly paced but it ended like a tv episode where you know everything was kind of wrapped up nice and neat earth was saved and everything went on um whereas the motion picture ended with that big finale with V'ger merging with Decker and the Ilea probe and actually, you know, evolving and going into another dimension. So it would have probably fallen a little bit flat if they would have had the original story arc in the, in Mm -hmm. the motion picture. So sure. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, that makes perfect sense. You got to rewrite the ending to be a little bit more bombastic. Exactly. A little bit more, you know, have a little bit more heavy consequence. Right. Absolutely. But I I do. I think I think that if Star Wars wouldn't have come out, if we eventually did get a lower budget movie, it probably would have looked more like the Wrath of Khan did in terms of it. The Wrath of Khan is a great story and it looks good visually on the screen, but the effects aren't as super wonderful, I guess, if you want to say, or extravagant as they were in the motion picture. Mm-hmm, at this mm-hmm. point, I think that I think we would have gotten more of a low budget first film if it weren't for Star Wars coming out. They had to match what they saw on that that screen. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely, and and of course you you know you mentioned the merchandising that Star mm-hmm. Wars had such a huge impact on uh, mm-hmm. toy sales and, and tie-ins mm-hmm. to popular movies and and TV shows, and of course Star mm-hmm. Trek was going to you know tackle that. Uh, did mm-hmm. Do you? Ha- um, I can't remember. Do you have Netflix? I do not have Netflix. I have CBS All Access though. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a phenomenal show on Netflix. If you ever get a chance, or if you know you could borrow someone's password. <coughs> Sorry, I had a frog in my throat. Um, <laughs> but there, there's a show on there called The Toys That Made Us, and they take one uh, toy property. Uh, per episode and they go very very in-depth into the history of those toys of course there's a star wars episode there's one on Mm -hmm. the transformers there's one on Mm gi joe one on he-man but they also did an episode on star trek toys and of course migo uh, you know features heavily in that episode because Mm -hmm. You know, Mego was a, a very good toy company they just didn't have quite the same popularity you know mm-hmm. at least after after kenner got the star wars license they they kind of dropped like a rock in popularity Mego did mm-hmm. yep they fate by the early 80s they were gone mm-hmm. completely gone you know um but yeah i mean star trek never really had the the merchandise boom really until the 90s when the playmates toys came out that's when it mm-hmm. finally got its its star wars moment and in, in popularity in terms of of the figures, you know, but I mean, I would love to get a set of those motion picture Migos. I mean, they, they just, they fit perfectly with all the stuff that came out in the seventies for star Wars. And it would just be neat little pieces of history to have, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I'm very sure. thankful to star Wars and George Lucas for, for being there. And as I, like I said, I really don't think that star Wars Star Trek would have come back the way it did if it weren't for that. I mean, it has to be acknowledged, you know, mm-hmm. there's no way of getting around it. Oh yeah, and it's it's very very clear that there was a huge influence on yeah. Star Trek after Star Wars release. You know, mm-hmm. after the release of Star Wars proved to be so successful. Yeah, you know it. Uh, it's funny because the 1970s, prior to 1977, the the films in that Hollywood released in the 1970s were very very obsessed with being gritty and realistic. You know, yes. prior to May of 1977, you know the biggest hit movies were. The Godfather, parts one and two, Rocky, you know, those were kind of your big films. There was a huge focus on films that dealt with the Vietnam War. So, you know, movies like The Deer Hunter, like Apocalypse Now, uh, and also in the 70s, disaster movies were huge. You know, you had uh, Earthquake and The Towering Inferno, which were huge at the box office. You know, and and science fiction and science fantasy films just didn't exist the way they do 
now. They, they didn't exist in the seventies. They didn't, ha- you know, because because Hollywood was shifting tones. You know, that was more something. You know, you saw you saw the the, the sci fi films of the fifties and the sixties doing well, but you know the the nineteen seventies crowd, you know was a lot different the movie going crowd was a lot different in the in the shit then there was that shift in focus to something more gritty and realistic mm-hmm. and less fantastical so the fact that star wars came along and, and was able to crush the box office and revive the the space fantasy the you know, the science fiction genre is is incredible that it you know and i think it took audiences by surprise and that's you know and it was you know, it was word of mouth and that led to Star Wars doing so well. You know, you know, everybody told their everybody else, their friends about how good Star Wars was and you had to go see it. And, you know, it was it was even though the movie was set in a space environment in a science fiction era, you know, it it was it was the practical special effects and all that spectacular model work that made Star Wars feel a little bit more grounded and and realistic and fit in with the other films of the 1970s. You know, of course, you know, a big part of that was because George Lucas was so influenced by, you know, the films that he grew up with, with, um, you know, with the World War II movies and the dogfights that a lot of those movies, you Mm -hmm. know, featured. He took that as inspiration for, the, the space battles in star Wars. And, you know, yeah, he, he did it. it yeah. You know, it's just that world and the technology that you see in star Wars, it looks mm-hmm. just a little bit futuristic, but not to the point that it wasn't believable just because, right. you know, he, he insisted that this equipment and this world looked lived in and it looked yeah. like it had been in use for decades, mm-hmm. uh, you know, upon decades. And, and, you know, that, that alone, you know, that's, I think that's part of the reason why Star Wars clicked with so many audiences in the seventies. And of course, you know, a a sci-fi franchise like Star Trek is going to want to take advantage of that. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for tuning in to episode four of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We hope you liked how this discussion went. It's a little bit different than the first two main episodes that we did as far as watching and then comparing uh it was it was kind of cool to explore this history you know and how uh kind of going back to the roots of how star wars and star trek are intricately connected to one another exactly well well said i I agree so yeah so looking forward to the next episode with you jonathan i'm sure we'll have something really interesting to discuss about comparing the two franchises again that's been i think a lot of fun with this show is being able to kind of to see how they are similar when so many people want to see how different and apart they really are so Mm -hmm. i think that's something unique that we bring if you'd like to reach out to the show on twitter you can find us at logs and lightsabers pod all spelled out If you go on Facebook, search for Logs and Lightsabers Pod. Or if you want to email the show, you can reach us at logslightsaberspod at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach out to me personally, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook by searching at Just a Disney Geek. How about you, Chris? You can find me on Twitter. Just go to Twitter, type in at Chris Stow, S-T-O-U-G-H-1. You can also find me on Twitter 
and YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called Pittsburgh's Trek Chat. On Twitter, you can go to at PGH Trek Chat. You'll find me there. On YouTube, just type in Pittsburgh's Trek Chat. That'll take you directly to my channel. My email that you can use also to get in touch with me is Christopher Stow, S-T-O-U-G-H-L-S-W at gmail.com. Great. And then also, if you'd like to connect with Geek News Now, the uh, the network on which you found this podcast, you can reach out to them on Twitter at GNN underscore home, Facebook just search for Geek News Now. Or if you'd like to connect with GNN on their website, it's www.geeknewsnow.net. We'd appreciate any and all feedback that you're willing to provide. Just reach out to us on any of those social network contact points and tell us what you think, whether that's suggestions for new episodes, what you liked about an episode, or what we can improve upon. We want to hear it. We would like to offer you some discounts from a couple partnerships that Geek News Now has. For the pen and paper RPG fans, we have a great offer from Metallic Dice Games. You can use the code GNN to take 10% off your entire order, including items that are already on sale. Go to MetallicDiceGames.com and shop for your RPG gaming needs. Secondly, if you have extra room in your closet or drawers for more geeky t-shirts, Ripped Apparel is offering 10% off on their site, except for the daily shirts. That promo code is GNN10. Their website is riptapparel.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Live long and prosper, everyone. 